We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. It's Friday, September 9th, 2022, and the world mourns the death of the Queen of England, Elizabeth II, an icon who has served her country for over 70 years as its monarch. She's been called the last Christian monarch by the Vatican. Her body is dead, but she lives on forever in Christ. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Today's show will focus on Queen Elizabeth II, the Queen of England. Uh, You'd have to be living under a rock right now if you didn't see the news yesterday that the Queen died at 96 years of age, quietly and peacefully, in her palace in London. So... What do I want to talk about today? I want to talk about the Queen's Christianity. I want to talk about her life and service to her country and to the world. I want to talk about the fact that while her country and the world was hell-bent lockstep in its march toward Hades, she actually turned the other direction. So as the world became more and more secular, more and more arrogant, more and more determined to build another and another and another Tower of Babel and worship to itself, while she watched all of the atrocities that transpired as the result of that hubris and that arrogance, rather than looking more and more in the direction of humanism and secularism, she turned the other direction and looked more and more toward Christ. And There's proof of this. If you listen to her speeches, her addresses to her country over the years, you can see her referencing not mankind's brilliance, but the humility of the Son of Man, the sacrifice of the Son of God, and her worship of Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And that's why I opened the show by saying, yes, her body is dead, but she lives on forever in Christ. You know, I'm not the one to judge, obviously. No one knows what lies in every other human heart. Sometimes you have to wonder if we even know what lies in our own hearts. So I can't read her mind. I don't know her heart. But what I can do is listen to her words and and read them. And as you do so, you see that her speeches in the last couple decades turned more and more toward Christ as she turned away from secular humanism. It appears that she recognized the brokenness of the worldview that everyone else was embracing that led to the furnaces of Auschwitz, that led to the cultural revolution in Red China, that led to the killing fields of Cambodia and the evil of Pol Pot, that led to the loss of freedom in places like Cuba, Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, and Iraq. She, she watched 
the march of human progress and recognize this is not progress. This is regress. We're going backward. We're not going forward. People are suffering. They're not being liberated. She watched that throughout the course of her 70-year reign, and she turned more and more toward the Bible, toward her faith, toward the church, and toward Christ, the true king that she served. So in today's show, I'm going to use Oz Guinness's book, great book that has come out. I'm reading it. I'm not finished with it yet. It's called The Magna Carta of Humanity, Sinai's Revolution of Faith and the Future of Human Freedom. Os Guinness, being a Brit himself, is the appropriate one to comment on some of these things. I'll use that as the context to summarize this march toward hell that we seem to be, we seem to be bent on as a human race and how the queen interacted with that and turned away from it, and tried to guide her country, her nation, her world, back to the church. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. So, obviously, today's show is on Queen Elizabeth and her passing, the death of the queen. But long live the queen. And why do I say that? Not just because it's cliche, but because... All of us, all of us will live long. As C.S. Lewis has told us, we never interact with a mere mortal human being. All human beings are eternal. We're created in the image of God. We are the Imago Dei, and as thus, we are eternal beings. That's one of the teachings of Scripture. When we die, we just don't rot in the grave. There's the curse of death because of sin, yes, but we are promised a resurrection, and we're also promised that all of us will stand before the great judgment, where Christ himself, the true king, will, will rule. And those of us who have faith in Christ will be called, as Lewis says, higher up and higher in. And th- those of us who don't will suffer the consequences of our own decision. Essentially, Lewis tells us there are two kinds of people in this world. We're all eternal, but there are two kinds of human beings. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. Do you get the point there? We get what we deserve. We get what we want. If we look to God and say, thy will be done in confession, accepting the blood of Christ, then we can, in humility, say, Heavenly Father, thy will be done. But if we arrogantly defy all of the truths of Scripture, the truth of Christ, if we defy the truth itself with a capital T, then God will look to us. Christ himself, the second person of the triune God, will say, thy will be done. You wanted this, this is what you get. That's essentially the message of C.S. Lewis when he tells us that. And I'm referring to C.S. Lewis and Os Guinness right now because they are Brits and because they're brilliant. I may cite a couple other British authors in this commentary today. But I'm going to focus pretty much exclusively from here on out on the words of Os Guinness in his book that I mentioned to you, as well as the actual testimony of Queen Elizabeth herself. You know, another show that I might do, sidebar to this whole commentary, is that um, we're all British now. There's so much of what we think and what we do and how we structure our government and how we supposedly behave as a people that's grounded in 
Great Britain. And we need to recognize that. I mean, the authors that we read, the science that we benefit from, the governmental systems that we enjoy, uh, they're grounded in Great Britain. They're grounded in the March of Freedom that came through the British Empire, the United Kingdom. I mean, the Magna Carta set the stage for our Constitution. Os Guinness makes that point over and over again. The, the biblical worldview that, in theory, is still part of the United Kingdom because the queen, the monarch, and now the king is the defender of the faith. The faith. Well, what's the faith? It's Christianity, the faith of the church. Uh, it, 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 as it's written, it, it isn't an ecumenical hodgepodge of all paths leading to the same summit. And let us hope and pray that King Charles doesn't change all of that. Um, he may, who knows? Different story, different time. But we do know that his mother, Queen Elizabeth II, grew toward the exclusivity of the message of Christ, the purity of the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, the Alpha and the Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. We know that Queen Elizabeth II grew more and more to acknowledge his sovereignty over her life, even though the world claimed that she was sovereign. In, in his book that I just shared with you, titled The Magna Carta of Humanity, Sinai's Revolutionary Faith and the Future of Freedom, Os Guinness says this when he's describing the state of affairs that we're in right now, a state of affairs that essentially transpired throughout the course of Queen Elizabeth's life. That's the interesting part of this commentary. Os Guinness talks about the 21st, excuse me, the 20th century. He says, it is said, um, it, the 21st century be, was begun on August 1914. Uh, why? Because that's the outbreak of the Great War, the World War I. And when the century finished, there was a, a massive grave left in its wake. Here's, here's what Os Guinness says. 231 million men, women, and children had died violently in the 20th century, shot over open pits, murdered in secret police cellars, asphyxiated in Nazi gas chambers, worked to death in Arctic mines and timber camps, the victims of deliberately contrived famines or lunatic industrial experiments, whole populations ravaged by alien armies, bombed to smithereens, or sent to the wander in their exiled millions across all of the violated borders of Europe and Asia. Ozaganis goes on and he describes what Queen Elizabeth essentially inherited when she ascended to the throne of the monarchy of Great Britain. Now, she was born shortly after 1914. As you know, she was born in 2000, and, excuse me, in 1926. 1926 was her birthday. She ascended the throne at a very young age in 1953. So as a young child, she was very well aware of what was going on in the world, the world that Oz Guinness just described retrospectively here for us. World War I, which set off all of, um, all of this, says Oz Guinness, was absolutely shattering to the continent. 
that it was fought on. So World War I, Osgenis claims, stripped away the complacent pretense that uh, Europeans had of this veneer of European civilization. World War I was brutal and horrifying and senseless and unnecessary, says Guinness. The carnage of this bloody trench warfare was the precursor of the horrors of the century. A century, half of which um, Elizabeth served as monarch. And the other quarter of that century, she was a young girl growing up and watching Western civilization spiral toward hell. I mean, this is the world that Elizabeth lived in, and this is the world that she was declared monarch over. It was a world that could easily have slipped away into to- into totalitarian regimes with no human freedom. It, 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 it's the world that could have easily turned into what Huxley and George Orwell were warning of. It, it's the world that C.S. Lewis w- wrote about in The Abolition of Man, The Loss of Humanity. This this was the kingdom that Elizabeth II inherited. Osgenis goes on. It was the beginning of the end of both the European Enlightenment and Europe as the capital of world civilization. It was also the beginning of a century of mounting questions about humanity and the emergence of a maelstrom of clashing views over what it means to be a human being. This is Osgenis. He, he reminds us, Guinness does, of what Albert Einstein said once as Einstein sat back and watched this world unfold. As, as humanity plunged toward crisis, nuclear annihilation, two world wars, 200 million people dead in graves, tortured at the hands of human arrogance, the hubris of totalitarians that thought they knew better than God how other human beings should be treated and how we could structure our lives. Einstein once said this, what a pity that we don't live on Mars so that we could observe the futile activities of human beings only through a telescope. We need to recognize the brokenness of the world, that we can pretend all we want that Everything is just a kumbaya moment, and if we would all just learn to get along, that we could all enjoy the freedoms that we take for granted. That's not the way it works. That's not the reality of the march of history. And those who don't learn the lessons of history are doomed to repeat them. That's a paraphrase of George Santayana, the philosopher, that, again, Queen Elizabeth would have known well and did know well. Again, I, I quote Einstein. What a pity we don't live on Mars so that we could observe the futile activities of human beings only through a telescope. Osgenis says this, At the same time that Einstein was showing this, others showed an iron determination to face the worst and to rebuild with a new superhuman effort. Okay? They were determined to face the worst and solve the worst through more human achievement rather than submission to God. He quotes uh, the classic work that was written in 1916, The Tower of Babel. Not the story out of the Bible, but a classic essay. The conclusion 
of the war was a monstrous moment with harsh clarity for the pretensions of Enlightenment Europe. The new Tower of Babel, the greatest monument to the spiritual unity of Europe, lies in decay. Its workers have lost their way. But Europeans must not give up. They must return to the construction. And the call to rebuild should come from the old ancestor, our spirit, which remains the same in all forms, all legends. That nameless builder of Babel, the genius of mankind, whose meaning and salvation is to strive against his creator. This was part and parcel of the world that Elizabeth inherited. This this shaking of our fist in the face of God to strive against our creator rather than humble ourselves in his midst. To say we've suffered all of these things because of you, God, we could do better. We just killed 200 million of our fellow human beings. But it's not our fault. It's God's fault. It's, it's the fact that we didn't succeed in building our Tower of Babel strong enough and higher, high enough. If we just would have done a little bit better job in our quest to become gods, as God, we could have cast off all of these all of these atrocities, all of these outcomes that we've suffered are not our fault, but they're God's fault. We just need to regroup and start again in building the Great Tower. Guinness talks about C.S. Lewis and the abolition of man. He talks about George Orwell and Animal Farm in 1984. He talks about Borges's library of Babel, and Huxley's Brave New World. He talks about the 1960s and the post-war factors, the post-war referring to World War II, and how we were organizing on the global stage to effectively exacerbate all of the problems even further. I mean, we had the Cold War and the arms race and the rise of environmentalism as a god as opposed to being good stewards of creation. We had the specter of a nuclear Armageddon. We had all of this coinciding with the emergence of counterculture, of quote-unquote drugs, sex, and rock and roll. We had this insistent theme of the 1960s and this troubled status of humanity, says Oz Guinness. He then reminds us that in 1961, Bertrand Russell asked this question, has man a future? And how John Paul Sartre spoke of the impact of colonialism and what he called the striptease of humanism. What did he mean by that? Essentially, we're exposing the nakedness of man's supremacy. The free speech movement of Cal Berkeley, where it was said that there's a time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious it makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part of it any longer. And you have to throw your own body on the gears, on the gears of the machine of civilization. That was the call of Cal Berkeley and Mario Savio, the leader of that free speech movement. Okay, so we, we go through Auschwitz and post-Hiroshima, and we're now verging on the technological age and the worship of technology, transhumanism, cyborgs, cryonics, etc. 
the LGBTQIA movement, the trans movement in general, the degradation of the human being into nothing but a collection of feelings as opposed to a biological and epistemological ontological fact. Guinness calls all of this back to our minds. He reminds us all of this. He, he's showing us what the march of the last century plus has brought. It's brought a lot of good, but it's also brought a lot of evil because we continue to shake our fist in the face of God and try to construct our own castles, our own towers, our own fortresses to defend ourselves against the ways of God rather than to build altars and cathedrals so that we can worship that God, our creator. And in the midst of all of this, we have a queen who sits on the throne in Great Britain. And her messages, her emphasis, the things that she said, um, the focus of her addresses to the public changed a great deal over the course of her reign, over the course of her 70 years. I stumbled across this article in researching for this show today, an article written in The Guardian, British newspaper, written by uh, Catherine uh, Pepinster. And the title of the article is How the Queen, the Last Christian Monarch, Has Made Faith Her Message. Subtitle is over... Uh, the 65 years, this is article is a, a couple years old, obviously, because it says 65 years, actually. The Queen's total reign was 70, as we've already discussed. But for the sake of, for the sake of this article, she talks about over the 65 years of her broadcast, the Queen has begun to take a deliberate turn towards religion. Now, what is that religion? It's Christianity. The, the Queen was was very clear, as all Christians should be, in showing grace and real tolerance to people of other faiths. But that doesn't mean that she had this total ecumenical view, ecumenical in the sense that there is no difference between any religious expression. That doesn't mean that that's what she embraced. She just did what Christ would do, and that is she showed grace and true tolerance towards people who had yet to come to the same conclusions that she, Queen Elizabeth, had come to with regard to the Christian faith, the belief in Christ, the truth of the Bible. This evolution over time as to what the Queen was saying is really quite stark. If you start in 1952, when she was initially coronated as Queen of England, this is what she said in one of her messages. Now listen, I want you to listen closely to what the Queen says. In 1952, as she addressed the nation, she said, let us set out to build a truer knowledge of ourselves and our fellow man and use the tremendous forces of science and learning for the betterment of man's lot upon this earth. That's what she said in 1952. So she's emphasizing ourselves, our fellow man, and the tremendous forces of science and learning human knowledge for the betterment of man's lot upon this earth. So it seems to be pretty humanistic and, and human-centric, right? In 1972, 20 years later, she says this, Britain and these European countries see the community, with a capital C, see in the community a new opportunity for the future. That if we work together, not only we, but the whole world will benefit. We are trying to create a wider family of nations. That's an excerpt from her speech in 1972. So in 1952, she's emphasizing fellow man, ourselves, the forces of science and 
human knowledge, learning for the betterment of our lot on earth. And she speaks in 1972, 20 years later, of the global community, the opportunity for the future, and how we can work together. It's all about us. It's about the community with a capital C. The message hasn't shifted much, has it? But then if you fast forward to the year 2000, listen to what the Queen is saying then. To many of us, our beliefs are of fundamental importance. Well, what are those beliefs? For me, she says, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability to God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. I, like so many of you, have drawn great comfort in difficult times from Christ's words and example. What a stark contrast to what she said, you know, in those previous decades. What's happened? I don't know. I can't read her mind. I don't know her soul, but this message is diametric, diametrically different than what she was saying before. In 2014, she says this. She kind of doubles down. For me, the life of Christ, the Prince of Peace, is an inspiration and an anchor in my life, a role model of reconciliation and forgiveness. He stretched out his hands in love, acceptance, and healing. Christ's example has taught me to seek to respect and value all people of whatever faith or none. And then in 2016, she says this, and this is kind of an iconic quote that people are citing upon her death. Billions of people now follow Christ's teaching and find in him the guiding light for their lives. I am one of them. Because Christ's example helps me see the value of doing small things with great love. Whoever does them and whatever they themselves believe. So again, I don't think she's arguing for uh, believe what you want to believe, whatever you believe, as long as it works for you, that's cool. No, that's not what she's saying. She's saying that Christ's teaching provide a guiding light for her and millions, if not billions of other people. And she says she's one of these people that because of Christ's example is showing love and compassion and true tolerance and care and concern for all people, whether they believe or they don't believe. Because that's what Jesus himself did when he sacrificed himself for everyone. I'm going to quote her again as we conclude this show. For me, the life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, is an inspiration and an an anchor in my life. A role model of reconciliation and forgiveness. Christ's example has taught me to respect and value all people. This. This is who the Queen of England became. This is her march toward faith, while the rest of the world was in a lockstep march toward the precipice of hell. The Queen is dead, but long live the Queen. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.